Pope Benedict XVI's words to the young people at the welcome celebration of World Youth Day Sydney on Thursday the 17th of July 2008. Dear young people, what a delight is to greet you here at Barangaroo on the shores of the magnificent Sydney Harbour with this famous bridge and opera house. Many of you are local from the outbreak of the dynamic multicultural communities of Australian cities. Others of you have come from the scattered islands of Oceania and others still from Asia, the Middle East, Africa and the Americas. Some of you indeed have come from as far as I have Europe. We are here at last in Sydney, and together we stand in our world as God's family, disciples of Christ, empowered by His Spirit to be witnesses of His love and truth for everyone. I wish firstly to thank the Aboriginal elders for welcoming me prior to my boarding the boat at Roseby. I am deeply moved to stand on your land, knowing the suffering and injustice it has borne, but I wear two of the healing and hope that are now at work, rightly bringing pride to all Australian citizens, to the young indigenous, Aboriginal, and Torres Strait Islanders, and the Tokelauans. I express my thanks for a stirring welcome through you as and heartfelt greetings to your people. Cardinal Pell and Archbishop Wilson, I thank you for a warm words of welcome. I know that your sentiments resonate in the hearts of the young gathered here this evening, and so I thank you all. Standing before me, I see a vibrant image of the universal church, the variety of nations and cultures from which you hail shows that indeed Christ's good news is for everyone. It has reached the ends of the earth. Yet I know too that a good number of you are still seeking a spiritual homeland. Some of you must welcome among us are not Catholic or Christian. Also of you have sober at the age of parish and church life. To you I wish to offer encouragement. Step forward into Christ's loving embrace. Recognize the church as your home. No one need remain on the outside, for from the day of Pentecost the Church has been one and universal. This evening I wish also to include those who are not present among us. I am thinking especially of the sick or mentally ill, young people in prison, those struggling on the merchants of our societies, and those who for whatever reason feel alienated from the Church. The same as the Jesus is close to you. Feel his healing embrace, his compassion and mercy. Almost 2,000 years ago, the apostles gathered in the upper room together with Mary and some faithful women were filled with the Holy Spirit. At that extraordinary moment, which gave birth to the church, the confusion and fear that had gripped Christ's disciples 
were transformed into vigorous conviction and sense of purpose. They felt impelled to speak of their encounter with the risen Jesus, whom they had come to call affectionately the Lord. In many ways, the apostles were ordinary. None could claim to be the perfect disciples. They failed to recognize Christ, felt ashamed of their own ambitions, and had even denied him. Yet, when empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were transfixed by the truth of Christ's gospel and inspired to proclaim it fearlessly. Emboldened, they exclaimed, Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Grounded in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, and in the breaking of the bread and prayer, the young Christian community moved forward to oppose the perversity in the culture around them, to care for one another, to defend their belief in Jesus in the face of hostility, and to heal the sick. And in obedience to Christ's own command, that force, bearing witness to the greatest story ever, that God has become one of us, that the divine has entered human history in order to transform it, and that we are called to immerse ourselves in Christ's saving love, which triumphs over evidently. St. Paul, in his famous speech to the Areopagus, introduced the message in this way. God gives everything, including life and praise, to everyone, so that all nations might seek God, and by feeling their way towards Him, succeed in finding Him. In fact, He is not far from any of us. It is in Him that we live and move and have our being. And ever since, men and women have set out to tell the same story, witnessing to Christ's truth and love and contributing to the Church's mission. Today, we think of those pioneering priests, sisters and brothers who come to these shores and to other parts of the Pacific, from Ireland, France, Britain, and elsewhere in Europe, the great majority were young, some still in their late teens, and when they bid farewell to their parents, brothers and sisters and friends, they knew that they were unlikely ever to return home. Their whole lives were a selfless Christian witness. They become the humble but tenacious builders of so much of the social and spiritual heritage which still today brings goodness, compassion, and purpose to the nation. And they went on to inspire another generation. They think immediately of the faith which the St. Blessed Mary MacKillop in her sheer determination to educate especially the poor. And Blessed Peter Turot in his stateless resolution that community leadership must always include the gospel. Think also of your own grandparents and parents, your first teachers in faith. They too have made countless sacrifices of time and energy 
out of love for you, supported by your parish priests and teachers, takes the task, not always easy, but greatly satisfying, of guiding you towards all that is good and true through their own witness, their teaching and living of our Christian faith. Today, it is my turn. For some of us, it might seem like we have come to the end of the world. For people of your age, however, any flight is an exciting prospect. But for me, this one was somewhat daunting. Yet the views afforded of our planet from the air were truly wonders. The sparkle of Mediterranean, the grandeur of the North African desert, the lushness of Asian forestation, the vastness of the Pacific, the horizon upon which the sun rose and set, and the majestic splendor of Australia's natural beauty, which I have been able to enjoy these last couple of days, this all evoke a profound sense of awe. It is as though one catches glimpses of the Genesis creation story, light and darkness, the sun and the moon, the waters, the earth, and the living creatures, all of which are good in God's eyes. Immersed in such beauty, who could not echo the words of the psalmist in praise of the Creator? How majestic is your name in all the earth. And there's more. Something hardly perceivable from the sky, men and women made in nothing less than God's own image and likeness. At the heart of the marvel of creation are you and I, the human family, crowned with glory and honor. How astounding. With the psalmist, we whisper, what is mean that you are mindful of him and drawn into silence, into a spirit of thanksgiving, into the power of holiness, we ponder. What do we discover? Perhaps reluctantly we came to a knowledge that there are also scales which mark the surface of our earth, erosion, deforestation, the squandering of the world's mineral and ocean resources in order to fuel an insatiable consumption. Some of you come from island nations whose very existence is threatened by rising water levels, also from nations suffering the effects of devastating droughts. God's wondrous creation is sometimes experienced as almost hostile to its stewards, even something dangerous. How can what is good appear so threatening? And says more. What of man, the apex of God's creation? Every day we encounter the genius of human achievement, from advances medical sciences and the wise application of technology to the creativity reflected in the arts, the quality and enjoyment of people's lives in many ways are steadily rising. Among yourselves, there's a readiness to take up the plentiful opportunities offered to you. Some of you excel in studies, sport, music, or dance and drama. Others of you have a keen sense of social justice and ethics, 
and many of us take out service and voluntary work. All of us, young and old, have those moments when the innate goodness of the human person perhaps glimpsed in the gesture of a little child or an adult's readiness to forgive fills us with profound joy and gratitude. Yet such moments do not last. So again we ponder and we discover that not only the natural but also the social environment, the habit that we fashion for ourselves, has its cause. Bones indicating that something is amiss. Here too in our personal lives and in our communities, we can encounter hostility, something dangerous, a poison which sweets to corrode what is good, reshape who we are, and distorts the purpose for which we have been created. Examples abound, as yourselves know. Among the more prevalent alcohol and drug abuse and sexualization of violence and sexual degradation often presented through television and internet as entertainment. I ask myself, could anyone standing face to face with people who actually do suffer violence and sex exploitation explain that these tragedies portrayed in virtual form are considered merely entertainment? There's also something sinister which stems from the fact that freedom and tolerance are often separated from truth. This is fueled by the notion, widely held today, that there are no absolute truths to guide our lives. Relativism, by indiscriminately giving value to practically everything, has made experience all important. Yet, experience is detached from any consideration of what is good and true, can lead not to genuine freedom, but to moral or intellectual confusion, to lowering of standards, to loss of self-respect, and even to despair. Dear friends, life is not governed by chance, it is not random. Your very existence has been willed by God, blessed and given a purpose. Life is not just a succession of events or experiences, helpful so many of them are. It is a search for the true, the good, and the beautiful. It is to this end we make our choices. It is for this that we exercise our freedom. It is in this, in truth, in goodness, and in beauty, that we find happiness and joy. To not be fooled by those who see you as just another consumer in a market of indifferentiated possibilities, where choice itself becomes the good. Novelty absorbs beauty, and subjective experience displaces truth. Christ offers more. Indeed, he offers everything, only he who is the truth 
can disagree on this of their life. Thus the way which apostles brought to the end of the earth is life in Christ. This is the life of the Church. And the entrance to this life to the Christian way is baptism. This evening I wish therefore to recall briefly something of our standing of baptism before tomorrow considering the Holy Spirit. On the day of your baptism, God drew you into his holiness. You were adopted as a son or daughter of the Father. You were incorporated into Christ. You were made a dwelling place of his spirit. You have become a new creation. Dear friends, in your homes, schools, and universities, in your places of work and recreation, remember that you are a new creation. As Christians, you stand in this world knowing that God has a human faith, Jesus Christ, the way who satisfies all human earning and the life to which we are called to bear witness, walking always in his light. The task of witness is not easy. There are many today who claim that God should be left on the sidelines, and that religion and faith, while fine for individuals, should either be excluded from the public forum altogether, or included only in the pursuit of limited pragmatic goals. This secularist vision seeks to explain human life and shape society with little or no reference to the Creator. It presents itself as neutral, impartial and inclusive of everyone. But in reality, like every ideology, secularism imposes a world view. If God is irrelevant to public life, then society will be shaped in a godless image. When God is eclipsed, our ability to recognize the natural order, purpose and the good begins to wane. What was ostensibly promoted as human ingenuity soon manifests itself as folly, greed and selfish exploitation. And so we have become more and more aware of our need for humility before the delicate complexity of God's world. But what of our social environment? Are we equally alert to the signs of turning our back on the moral structure with which God has endowed humanity? Do we recognize that the innate dignity of every individual rests on his or her deepest identity as image of the Creator, and therefore that human rights are universal, based on the natural law, and not something dependent upon negotiation or patronage, let alone compromise? And so we are led to reflect on what place the poor and the elderly, immigrants and the voiceless, have in our society. How can it be that domestic violence torments so many mothers and children? How can it be that the most wondrous and sacred human space, the womb, has become a place of unutterable violence? My dear friends, God's creation is one and it is good. The concerns for non-violence, sustainable development, justice and peace, and care for our environment are of vital importance for humanity. They cannot, however, 
be understood apart from a profound reflection upon the innate dignity of every human life from conception to natural death, a dignity conferred by God himself and thus inviolable. Our world has grown weary of greed, exploitation and division, of the tedium of false idols and piecemeal responses, and the pain of false promises. Our hearts and minds are yearning for a vision of life where love endures, where gifts are shared, where unity is built, where freedom finds meaning in truth, and where identity is found in respectful communion. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the hope held out by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to bear witness to this reality that you were created anew at baptism and strengthened through the gifts of the Spirit at Confirmation. Let this be the message that you bring from Sydney to the world.